This episode of The Hearst Show is brought to you by Knack, the best backpacks for working from anywhere. Stay tuned to later in the show to find out how you can obtain a free gift with your purchase. From the Empty the Bench Podcast Network, it's time for The Hearst Show. And on today's show, professional ball hawk, Zach Campbell, with your host, Kyle Hershon. And now, here's Hirsch. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Hearst Show for another week of fun times. And this week, it's a little bit different because I have my producer and the founder of Empty the Bench, Mr. Nick Morgan, sit with me. Hi, Nick. How are you, Kyle? I was looking... Uh, I was very excited, I should say, to, uh, for this interview to come. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while now, and uh, we're very excited to welcome uh, our guest today. He has been at 61 Major League Baseball stadiums in his lifetime. He has caught over 11,000. I am not joking with you. 11,000 baseballs from 61 different Major League stadiums, including a bunch of milestone balls that we'll talk about in this show today. I'm very excited to welcome Mr. Zach Hample to the Hearst Show. Hello, hello, gentlemen. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you for the very nice intro also. Oh, thank you very much, Zach. Uh, this is a very exciting time. Baseball, from the time we're taping this, baseball is just about to begin. Uh, you very excited about this season? I'm psyched, yeah. I mean, baseball has been disrupted so much over the past few years and as everyone knows, I mean, we nearly lost this season or a big chunk of it. So it's like we back, baby, like who knows what the pandemic is going to do next. But no mask requirements at stadiums, no social distancing, like a full season. So let's do it. Absolutely. And especially, you know, you know, the, the baseball lockout that occurred earlier this winter. I mean, I was really concerned that, you know, this whole Max Scherzer contract with the Mets, because I'm a Mets fan, you know, this whole contract would go for naught. Uh, but I'm just so happy that we have a baseball season. I wish I had a prop with me because <laughs> uh, if you watch the one of the last episodes I did, I interviewed Dale Scott, former Major League Baseball umpire. Uh, and I blew up a party popper and I accidentally burned my thumb. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Nick, uh, you, wanted, so, you wanted to talk to Zach for a long time, huh? Oh no, I, I really enjoy his channel. I watch, especially during the baseball season. Um, so with the lockout situation or almost lockout situation, did that really affect how your content was going to be chosen? How did that, how, how did that almost affect you? You know, teachers take the summers off and I'm sort of at this point where I just take the winters off. And if there, I mean, if there wasn't going to be any baseball, I might've just been like, well, I guess I'm just going to have a longer off season, but it, it sounded like minor league baseball was going to play. So I was prepared to just go to a whole slate of minor league stadiums, which it's not, my favorite baseball, just as a fan, I care more about major league baseball. Like I want to see the best people in the world doing their thing. I don't want to see the second best people, no offense to minor leaguers, but if they're better. They'd be major leaguers, but I don't know. I minor league baseball is, is great. I worked in the minors. That was the best summer of my life for the Boise Hawks in 1995. So I have a lot of love for minor league baseball. I just don't follow the, the stats or anything, but I was going to do it. But now it's like pretty much just major league games for me. There you go. Uh, do you know exactly uh, where you're going to be at uh, opening day? Well, I'm still working that out. Um, I do know. And again, depending on when this airs, but as of now, since the season is about to start, um, a big thing that I've planned is April 10th in Reading, Pennsylvania. There's a whole Zach Hample day at the Phillies double a team, the Reading fight and fills. So 
Um, even if I've already gone to it, by the time people see or hear this, the video might not be out until after people are seeing this interview. So look for that video on my YouTube channel. But um, my schedule is actually a mess right now because things like I had plans to see the Tigers at a certain point early on because I was thinking, when is Miggy going to get his 3000th hit? But now at the first week wiped out with those games made up later, it's like Miggy won't get there. So I've been reconfiguring a whole lot of stuff. So it's, it's all up in the air. So to talk about the milestone process, since you started to talk about that, is that how you determine some of your scheduling? Cause like, you got the 3000th hit from a rod. I'm assuming that was based on scheduling and the Mike Trout first home run, which we'll get into. I have some questions about that as well, but is that how you determine your scheduling for certain teams and games? I do try to keep an eye on the, the MLB milestone tracker and to see who has 99 career home runs or 999 hits or whatever. Cause it's, it's always cool to catch special baseballs. And of course, when there are top prospects coming up, I definitely try to see if I can be there when they might be hitting their first home run, but you know, I don't own a private jet and I work with a videographer who's amazing, but he's not free all the time. So there are certain limitations and uh, you know, it's like, maybe I want to go to Detroit when Miggy is going for 3000, but if the Yankees are there, it's going to be twice as crowded and it's just not fun maybe it's not even worth it. I don't like, I have to decide like a 3000 hit would probably be worth it. But if I'm trying to catch a lesser milestone, maybe it's not worth getting on a plane for that. If the stadium is going to be packed. So yeah, I keep all this stuff in mind. I mean, I, I feel like I need a full-time assistant just to tell me which important games I should go to. Cause who's going to hit which ball, but yeah, it's, it's part of the fun is figuring this stuff out. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, this year with the American League, it is stacked. I mean, we just found out that Julio Rodriguez, the number three prospect, is making the opening day roster for the Mariners. Bobby Wood Jr. is making his major league debut. So there's a lot of star power from these rookies coming up. And yeah, as you said, it's very challenging to decipher. It's like, okay, should I go for Rodriguez? Should I go for Witt? Maybe they'll hit their first career dinger today. Man, I don't know. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, variables that you have to uh, um, keep in mind. And I would assume for one person, it is very difficult. Yeah, it's uh, I went to 101 baseball games last year and maybe I would have even gone to more. Like if I had a whole production company where people just followed me and they filmed it and they edited it and then they just delivered this like perfect jewel of a video and like, here's your thumbnail, here's your title, here are the clips for social media. Oh, give us your passwords. We'll post it. Like if people are just doing all of that for me, then it would be fun to try to go to 200 games in a year, but I'm a human person and I need to sleep and I try to have a social life. And I do like to edit some of the videos myself to put my own stamp on it. And there's just, there's only so much I can do and keeping track of all the players and all the teams and the stadiums and the commemorative balls and Yeah, it's it's enough to drive me crazy sometimes in a fun way. Let's let's just be clear about that. I'm not complaining. I love this, but it is a lot. Oh, I can imagine. I I was going to ask that next question, Zach, that you brought up that what is the process of putting together one whole video when you when we see it? Because I think it comes out 
what a week or two after you do a video usually like, when yeah, you're like actually about a week or two depending on where it is it just depends like the first video of a road trip uh i'm gonna try to crank that out as quickly as possible um if i go to a game and i have nothing to do the next day maybe i'll just crank that video out within 24 hours or you know, I, I am working with other editors now a little bit. So, you know, if I'm working with someone and they're like, I'm free these days, if you get me the footage, I can turn it around quickly. So sometimes things will come out fast, but like if I'm out on the road for eight days and I've filmed seven videos at six stadiums, first of all, when the hell do I have time to edit? And I have, you know, six other videos to post first. So that seventh one might not come out for two weeks because I'm rolling them out every two or three days. So it's, it's tough to, it's tough to know when something is going to air. And now I'm working with seat geek again for the season and they want me to do a certain number of promos for them per month. So I have to plan like, Oh, so this video isn't going to come out for two weeks. So if I need it to air by the end of this calendar month, I'm going to have to film it by like the 17th. Like it's just, yeah, it's again, it's a lot. So, um, <laughs> I'm trying to get better and better at this and I am getting better year by year. There are just, there are always new challenges and uh, you know, I just try to have fun with it. Of course. And I mean, you know, as you keep mentioning, you know, with this becoming essentially a full-time job uh, with the YouTube channel and all the social media and you know, what was your thought process on creating your YouTube channel? Cause you made this a long time ago, like what, five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. So my first year, um, that YouTube became big for me was 2016, but I didn't really get into it full time until 2017, where I was like, this is what I am doing. I'm not going to work at my family's bookstore anymore. Like this is it. Cause I saw the potential. So, so this is what, like the sixth year that it's going to be a full-time thing for me. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. I, I got a D minus in statistics <laughs> in college. I failed trigonometry in 10th grade. So I feel you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I realized that it could be huge after I snagged the A-Rod 3000th hit because the amount of attention that I got from that, a lot of which was negative, unfortunately, especially early on. Makes it really, he should know. <laughs> Yankee fans hated me. Everybody else loved me because it seemed like I wasn't going to give the ball to A-Rod. And then ultimately I did. And we can talk about that. But like just all the notoriety from that, for better or worse, really propelled me on YouTube. And it, it, it even took me until a few weeks into the following season to monetize my channel. YouTube was never supposed to be a money-making thing. It was just like, you know, I really wrote a blog for years for free, just cause it was fun to put my stuff out there. And YouTube was the same type of thing. Just another Avenue to share content. I thought you had to get like a billion views to earn a hundred dollars. But then I had a friend who knew more about this stuff and she set me on the right path to getting monetized. And I could not believe when I actually got paid. And I think <clears throat> I told her like, if I ever get any money from this, the first thing I'm going to do is take you out to lunch. And like my first YouTube check was like 70 bucks or something like that. So like we went out and had a very nice Greek lunch <laughs> and that was back in 2016. And yeah, now it's, I mean, I'm, I don't like to talk about money and, and numbers that much, but I mean, I am making 
way more money on YouTube than I ever earned any with any other job. So like, it's, it's a real thing. Like you can be successful without being an A-list celebrity. So it's pretty wild to be in this position right now. And I'm going to defend you first of all. I'm a Yankee fan. I defend you in that situation with the A-Rod ball. And I well, heard I, you- that's because you're a sensible person. <laughs> you hear that people be sensible. <laughs> because I totally get it. You catch a milestone baseball like that. It's a tough situation. And I heard you talk about in a few interviews that maybe I could have handled the social media a little bit differently, oh, yeah. but, I, but I can totally understand. Hey, I just caught this amazing 3000 hit baseball. It's rare. And the way milestones are going today, when's the next time you're going to see a 3000 hit besides Miggy? When are you going to see a 3000 hit ball? You're just not. So I can totally understand. But the question I have is what went through your head when you caught that baseball and said, Oh my God, I just caught a rods 3000th hit. What happened? Well, going back to the Miggy thing, who knows if Miggy's even going to hit a home run the way he's going, it'll be like a, a, a single between first and second base. So you might see it, but you're not going to get a chance to catch it unless you're the right fielder picking it up off the grass. So what went through my head was pure disbelief. And now seven years later, since I got that a rod ball, it's still hard to believe that it was reality and actually happened. And if I watch the footage of it and it's not like I'm, you know, sitting at, at home and alone at night, like getting aroused, watching footage of myself, getting this ball, but like, I still see it. It gets played here and there, whatever it's in the documentary that's out now. I, I still get chills all these years later. Like I cannot believe it. I wasn't even so much happy as I was just in a state of disbelief. And if you look at certain camera angles, the replays, you can just see my face. I was just like, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah. So that's kind of what went through my head. And I still feel a lot of that to this day. And as you mentioned in the documentary, uh, you mentioned that only three 3000 hit balls went into the stands, Wade Boggs, Derek Jeter and a rod. And as you mentioned, Two of those balls were given back to the players immediately, but you decided to keep it because, well, you wanted to make some history. You were probably one of three people to ever have a 3000 hit ball, you know, a member of the public. And as you said, this could have been easily, what, six figures, maybe seven figures. Yeah. Auction experts at the time were estimating that it would sell for anywhere from 50,000, which seemed very low to 500,000, which seemed more accurate, but still kind of low, but they're the experts, whatever. But then again, I wrote a book where I researched the most valuable baseballs of all time. And I tend to have a good sense of these things. Who knows? It's all speculative because I didn't send that ball to auction, but it, it could have been definitely six figures. Let's be real. Maybe seven, you know, Mike Trout's first career home run. That would definitely be a seven figure ball right now. Kind of breaks my heart that I don't have the opportunity to sell that, but I don't regret my decision to give that back to him at the time. You know, for me, it's, I don't see dollar signs when I see these baseballs flying around. Like I just, it's fun to be connected to a historical baseball moment. And nothing's worth more to me than the experience itself. I've talked about this in the past, but it, you know, it's the YouTube and all the sponsorships and the merch, like that's how I make the money. But I don't really, I don't go after the baseballs to make money. I've never sold a baseball and I could have made millions if that were, you know, my, my motivation. So it's, 
again, it's, it's weird to sort of have the two sides like that. And also you have a friendship partially with trout, right? Uh, with certain situations, he gave you a bat over the years when you showed up, I think it was at a ranger game, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, maybe friendship is a bit strong. It's certainly, uh, it's a friendly acquaintanceship kind of thing. We're on a first name basis. You know, I'm like, Hey, Trouty. He's like, Hey, Zach. So, I mean, that's cool to have the goat know who I am. Although some might argue that Otani is the new goat, but, uh, let, let him do it for more than a season. That's what I say. And, um, the other thing I just wanted to follow up also, you yeah. have a great charity foundation pitching for uh, baseball and softball, which I, I think you do a great thing with that organization as well. So I think is that probably part of your motivation, right? To kind of raise money for charity. Absolutely. And just to be clear, cause there, there is some confusion out there. It's not my charity. Like when the Yankees donated all this money for the A-Rod ball, it, it was often said like, like they donated it to Zach Hample's charity, which then makes people think like, well, that if it's his charity, like maybe he's keeping the money. I have nothing to do with this charity other than I found it on the internet in 2009 and got in touch because I loved what they were doing, sending equipment to kids all over the world to help people play ball. And I asked if I could help them raise money with my collection. So I've become friendly with the people in that who, who run that charity. Cause I've worked with them for more than a decade, but you know, it's not, it's not my charity. It's just something that I support from the outside. Yes. And of course, you know, looking at the partners, I mean, you have, we have so many big partners with pitching for baseball. You've got the yep. twins, you've got the Mets, you've got the Reds, the giants, you team USA baseball, Wilson, the equipment company. And of course, Zach Campbell. Uh, so there's a <laughs> lot of, terrific partnerships with this charity and they've done so much to teach the youth about baseball and why baseball is such like the, as I said previously, it's the greatest game in the world. Can't argue with that. Absolutely. And so why baseball? Why has baseball become so entrenched with your life? You know, that's a damn good question. <laughs> I, I feel like, well, I, I was always naturally very athletic as a kid. I played every different sport and I was often, I mean, this is real talk. I was often the best at any sport up until a certain age. And then people caught up with me. Like, you know, my athletic peak was when I was about 16. I wish it were when I were 30, cause I'd be worth half a billion dollars now. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was very athletic and I gravitated toward baseball you know, of the four major sports, you got to be seven feet tall to play basketball and seven feet wide to play football. And like ice hockey was just not a thing for me wanting to have my teeth knocked out and like growing up in the Canadian tundra, whatever. Um, and no hate against these other sports, but it just, it, it, it didn't, it didn't resonate with me, but baseball was the thing that, that pulled me in. And there's many specifics about the sport, but I was just especially good at it and fond of it. and from a young age, I loved the idea of being a spectator and being able to catch these objects that flew out of the field. So that, that kind of sucked me into the vortex at a fairly young age, as far as my desire to get a baseball. Of course, it took me years and years to even get one. And we all know the insanity that's happened since then. Now, a question I asked is about the streak. I remember watching the videos when you did the streak did you feel a lot of pressure? Now, I know you've talked about it afterwards that you're happy. You don't have to deal with the stress of trying to get a baseball at every stadium and every day you go. 
are you happier that the streak is no longer a thing or were you happy at the time that the streak was a thing? How do you feel about it? Right. So just for those who may not know, I had a long streak from more than a quarter of a century where I got at least one baseball at every single major league game that I attended, including batting practice, toss ups, but a lot of gamers as well in there. And that streak was more than 1500 games that spread out over all those years. So I was tempted to try to keep it going and beat Cal Ripken Jr.'s streak and all that stuff. (laughs) But yeah, the pressure was just too much. I found myself skipping games because it's like, oh, it's rainy and there's not going to be batting practice. And I don't want to have to struggle to like beg for a toss up for two hours by the bullpens. Like I knew that I could get a ball, but it's just not fun. And I would skip games because it was raining and stay home and watch it on TV and then see home runs during games land right in my seat. And it drove me crazy. And I was like, you know, if I didn't have this stupid streak that I was trying to protect, then I would have caught more home runs. And it's sort of like when a potential batting champion sits out on the last day of the season because he's X number of Uh, batting average points ahead of the next guy. And like if the first guy sits and the second guy goes four for four, he's definitely still won't catch him. And it's just so tacky to live for your stats. Like you should just do your thing and let the stats be a natural reflection of what you're doing. And I found myself getting caught up in that loop of worrying too much about the numbers. So really that's why I ended it and I don't regret it at all. And, you know, with all of these games that you go to, all of the times you had to beg for a toss up, use different languages for certain players. Uh, Speaking of languages, how many languages are you able to speak as far as asking for a baseball? Uh, Something like 37. Jesus. And not specifically a baseball. It's just, you know, like a ball in general. And most of these are just useless party tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's going to be a Bulgarian major leaguer anytime soon <laughs> or Russian or, you know, but like, yeah, I can ask for baseballs in all kinds of interesting languages, you know, Spanish, dame la pelota, por favor, is a big one in Japanese. Um, but yeah, Korean and Taiwanese. I've used uh, French ones to get a baseball from, Claude Raymond, who was a coach on the Expos, and I used sign language a couple times to get baseballs from Curtis Pride, who is hearing impaired. I actually ran into him last year at the, was it the All-Star Game or the Home Run Derby in Colorado? But uh, yeah, he's in the video on my channel and he was really cool. And so it's it's just one more way to to basically make this interactive and like a game and try to not really outsmart the players because it's not me versus them, but just kind of uh, to get inside their heads a little bit and to try to figure out what would work just like in the same way that, you know, pitchers and hatter, pitchers and hitters have this cat and mouse game and they're trying to outdo each other. And, and again, not to compare myself to a player and be like, Oh, I'm on their level. Cause I'm not They're They're the ones with the real talent, but it is fun to have a game within the game and try to figure things out. So the one thing that I also like that you do in the videos, I love the cup trick. I love the way the different contraption you've had over the years. When did you first start doing the cup trick? I'm curious in that regard. So the cup trick is sort of a newer retrieval device for me to pick up baseballs that are out of reach. The first one was the glove trick, 
which I invented when I was about 14 or 15 because at Yankee Stadium, the old stadium, and it's actually still true at the new one because it's basically the same outfield. You have these walls that are like eight to 10 feet high and baseballs would roll onto the warning track and just sit there sometimes for a long time during batting practice and nobody could get them. And it was driving me crazy. And I, I, I was like, if I can find some way to lower something on a string, I bet I could pick up these balls. And I came up with the glove trick as a teen. And that was my, that was my secret weapon for a long, long time. I was the only person most of the time that ever had a device that could pick up baseballs. Now there's a lot of people who do it. And I think a big reason is that I've shown it a lot on my YouTube channel, but you just have to be careful if you're doing that because certain stadiums have different rules. Like they'll let you do it in the bullpen, but not on the field, or you can do it in a dead space behind the outfield wall, but not in the bullpen, or you can do it pregame, but not during the game. Some places you can't do it at all. Some places just do not care. So, you know, it's, it's not stealing as some people claim, um, but certain teams might have certain rules that you have to respect. Of course. And I mean, I I've seen you do the glove trick a couple of times. It was weird. It's Nick. It's really interesting. It's all it is. It's just a glove rubber band and a, and a sharpie magic marker. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. all it is with some string. It, it, it's I'm going to curse here. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Go for it. Uh, uh now you've mentioned about, you know, stadiums and certain rules. Uh, have you ever been to a stadium where they've ever really given you such a hard time that they threatened to throw you out? Uh, yes. I've actually been ejected from six different games at three different stadiums. There's been some false reports out there that I'm banned from three stadiums. That's not true. I've been to every stadium in a season four different times, including recently in the last few years. So not banned. But uh, I've been ejected from three. The, the Mets security personnel in the 1990s were criminally abusive, and it made me not like the Mets, basically. They were so awful to me and made up a whole special set of rules just for me. I mean, they would check, they would check my ticket for batting practice and nobody else's. They would tell me that I could not lean over the wall for a ground ball during batting practice, but everybody else could. So of course, I, yes, of course I took issue with this and I would still do the things that other people were doing and then I'd get kicked out for it. So I got kicked out of four games by Met security for absolute BS reasons. I'm still pissed off to this day. I got kicked out of a game in at Nationals Park because I was falsely accused of selling baseballs. Okay. This was a year after I caught Mike Trout's first home run. I didn't sell that. I gave it to him for free. And yet the nationals accused me of selling batting practice balls. There were some commemorative logos from the Dodgers. I had them turn face up to take pictures from my blog. And somehow somebody thought I was selling them, reported me, got kicked out. And then uh, I got kicked out of a game in Philly in 2013 for using bad language. Uh, I mean, they would have to kick out half the stadium every day. yeah, basically. Uh, so th- those are the reasons that I've gotten kicked out. Uh, the bad language was not anything, you know, racist or homophobic or bigoted or any way. It was actually something private that I said to a friend 
that a vendor overheard me say and then report. It was like really strange. So that's, that's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. But you know, it's been, it's been nine years since I've gotten injected. Um, <clears throat> even though none of that stuff was my fault at the time, I have toned down my act even more since then. So I really can't imagine ever getting injected again. Although the Dodgers gave me a hard time last year in LA because there were so many people coming up to me <clears throat> asking for my autograph and for selfies. True story. This sounds like fake news, but you can see it on my channel. Oh no, I saw your video. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That the Dodgers said that I was causing a scene. And the, the next time I plan something like that, I have to go through the team. And I was like, I didn't plan it. These people just recognized me. So they, they were not that nice about it, but it's all hopefully done and forgotten. Much love to the Dodgers. Hope to be back at their stadium soon. But it's just weird how what I do riles people up so much. Thankfully, most of it is positive, especially in person. But yeah, there's a lot of hate online. So it's a it's a constant battle to either deal with it or ignore it. Now, That's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, the one thing I was going to ask about the YouTube channel. Now, obviously, you started the YouTube channel way before baseball has gone through some of its weird issues and all the they're all worried about money now if you started the youtube channel today and you saw a lot of the issues with baseball would it deter you differently than it it did back then when there wasn't as many issues well i can say that it's a lot less fun to go to baseball games now with protective netting all over the place even pre-game when there's no chance of getting hit by a ball but yet it's just fixed there and you can't interact with the players. No backpack rules at most stadiums, gate times opening much later. It's a lot less fan friendly. And of course, price is going up. So baseball is still a glorious game and I'll always love it. And yeah, I mean, I think I still would do the same thing all over again, but there are a lot more challenges as a fan then when I first started going to games, obviously as a teenager, and even since I started doing YouTube videos, I think the sport is heading in a dangerous direction. I think they're changing the rules around an awful lot. And I think they should really be careful and remember that ultimately it's all about the fans and they are an entertainment business and to lighten up a little bit. Yeah. And you know, you've, you've said this before, you know, dealing with all the haters and the critics, how do you necessarily deal with all the haters that try to make you look bad. I mean, I've, we've seen it on when you were on television appearances, the tonight show uh, late night with Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno, they try to make you look like you're the villain. How do you rise up to the challenge and say, Hey, no, this is not who I am. This is what I really do. It was tougher for me years ago, not only because I was newer to being on TV, but because I didn't have, I guess my story wasn't fully formed yet. And if you're only quote unquote, a hobbyist and you're not making money from something, <clears throat> it's easier to put it down. So if I'm just the crazy guy that's going to a lot of games, cause I'm obsessed with baseballs, it's sort of like get a life loser. But now it's like, well, I've written three books. I have a YouTube channel. I, there's a documentary. Like I raise money for charity. Like who's a loser now, but I, I try to keep things really positive but that was harder to do before I had all these other things going on in my baseball life, you know? And actually you brought up something that I was going to bring up. So the comment section on YouTube and all the different comments you receive, whether it's positive or negative, how do you deal? 
I don't know if deal is the right word. How, how do you deal with the situation of the, the negative comments from time to time? Well, the block button on Twitter is a wonderful tool. <laughs> <laughs> I've blocked, I've blocked over 2000 people on Twitter. Jeez. And yeah. You, I mean, I've blocked hundreds in a single night on multiple occasions when things sort of blew up in a negative way and everybody came after me and you can say like, Oh, it's soft. If you're blocking people, it's like, well, it's, it's not your right to be hostile and threaten me. Well, of course, it's, yeah. it's a privilege if you get to see what I have to say. So yeah, I'm quick to block people. If, if they, if they really insult me with, with abusive language, they're blocked. If they threaten me, of course they're blocked. If they tell lies about me, people who falsely accuse me of knocking kids down, I used to block all of them, but now I realize that a lot of them are probably just misinformed. So occasionally I'll try to engage them and set them on the right path. YouTube has a feature where you can basically shadow ban people. Like they don't know that they're banned. So I've done that to a lot of folks. So they're just keep, they'll, they'll keep spouting off and saying nasty stuff. And on their computer, it shows up, but for me and for everybody else, they're invisible. So I love doing that as well. Uh, but there's, there's so much more positivity out there than negativity. So I try to focus on that. Um, and and ultimately I try to channel my inner Reggie Jackson. He said (laughs) famously fans don't boo nobodies. I love that quote. And, uh, I just try to remember when people are really giving it to me, I must be doing something right to have them even take notice of me. Absolutely. Uh, so what, what, uh, what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break. We'll, we're going to take a look at our sponsor, uh, Knack Bags. By the way, you can uh, order your your bag right here. Yes. And if you, if you do, enter that looks nice. Code. Yeah, they're, they're really nice. You should check it out. Knackbags.com. If you go onto the website and enter in the promo code Hirsch, H-I-R-S-H. I can't even spell my name. H-I-R-S-H. You will get a free gift with your purchase. We'll be right back. Take a look. Hey everyone, it's Hirsch. Right now, I want to take a few moments of your time to talk about today's sponsor, Mac. If you're like me, I'm constantly on the move, whether it's for business or leisure. And since I cannot stay away from my work, I need my laptop, tablet, and my phone with me at all times. With that being said, carrying all those gadgets can be a bit of a hassle. So I needed to find a way to safely carry all of my electronics with style, since everyone apparently judges how you look. That's when I found Knack. With Knack, there's no need to choose between style and functionality designed for professionals who need function and convenience without looking like a student. With its patented design, Knack is the first backpack that expands for more capacity when you need it. The sleek exterior, organized interior, and professional appearance help you look your best at the office or out in the world. Now, this is what I want you to do. Get a Knack bag today and stop worrying about how you look when carrying your life essentials. Use the promo code HIRSCH and for a limited time, get a free TSA-approved lock with your purchase. Just add the TSA lock to your cart with your knack bag of choice. I got olive green because that's my favorite color. And use the code Hirsch at checkout to get it for free. Go to knackbags.com for your chance to get a bag yourself. And now back to the show. Welcome back to the Hirsch Show, ladies and gentlemen, presented by Knack Bags. Nick Morgerson is with me as always. And we are talking with... Uh, I don't know what I should call you. Should I call you a ball hawk? Should I call you a content creator? Or uh, what, what's your preferred title, Mr. Zach Campbell? Can we go with movie star? Sure. Yes. Movie star. Of course. I mean, we that's, talk that's about not that. a lie. 
It's not a lie. You, a new documentary just came out uh, last week. Uh, Zach Campbell versus the world. You can find it. Where can we find it, Zach? It is available on many different streaming platforms, including Amazon, Apple, Google Play, Vimeo, and more. So just search it up and uh, good chance it'll be there. Now, I want to talk about this documentary. Now, what, 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 what inspired, I don't think it was you that had the idea. I think it was the filmmaker that had the desire to make a documentary about you and your journey to, I think it was 10,000 baseballs. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool that not only does does this 95 minute movie about me exist in the world, but it wasn't even me tooting my own horn and saying that, like, this thing needs to exist. <laughs> it was some random guy that I didn't even know who wanted to do this. I randomly met him at a Phillies game in 2008. He recognized me from my blog and he had a copy of my first book and it was his first time trying to catch baseballs. And there I was hundred miles from home. So he introduced himself. I was with my mom. I wrote a blog entry that day. Like you can see a picture of us. And he said that, you know, he was a filmmaker and wanted to do something on me someday. And I was like, um, okay. Like I was nice to him, but in my mind, I was like, sure. A lot of people have wanted to do a lot of things. It's not going to happen, but he was very nice. We kept in touch. And six years after that, so 2014, he interviewed me for the first time and we weren't even sure what it was going to be at the time. Maybe it was going to be something part of something else about the hobby in general. And in 2014, and you can see this in the documentary, I talked about how amazing it would be to catch a milestone home run, such as a 3000th career hit. And then a year later it happened. And so when that A-Rod ball thing uh, happened, it was just like, well, I guess, uh, Jeff, that was the filmmaker. It's like, I think your whole movie has to be about me now. That was, again, that was his idea, but it, I mean, that was the moment that really cemented the film as being like, this is a thing that needs to be about you exclusively. And it has to be out there. So it's been a long journey and major league baseball posted a short version of this film. Like it was, it was always intended to be a feature length film, but major league baseball wanted certain content a few years back. And this guy, Jeff Siegel, the filmmaker had been working with ESPN and MLB. So they came to him and they're like, you have some ideas for films. And he's like, well, I could, you know, give you a short version of this other thing I'm working on. So MLB posted that there's some confusion out there with people who were like, well, I saw the thing that MLB did. Isn't this the same? No, this is many, many times longer, much more interesting in depth. It's truly a, a work of art. This film is so beautifully filmed, crafted, the storytelling, the flow. And it's not even just about baseball. If you're, if you're interested in just like weirdos and how they ended up being so weird, like you got to see this film. Cause my life is pretty bonkers. And the film goes into a lot of that stuff. So in your wildest dreams, and I'll try to wrap this together. Cause I know uh, you've done a lot of interviews, try to, wrap it up with you. Uh, so in your wildest dreams, did you think a film, a YouTube channel with sponsors getting to do different interviews? Did you ever think in your wildest dreams you would be at this point? And would you, what would you go back and tell your younger self now after doing all this stuff? I absolutely could not have ever imagined this. My 12 year old self 
would be absolutely ecstatic at what I'm doing today, but would be pretty repulsed by all the salads that I eat. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, advice for 12 year old me probably would have been more social advice than anything. Just like chill out, stop trying to impress people, stop trying to show off, stop trying to make jokes all the time, stop trying to be so negative all the time. But also remember that no matter what you do, other kids really suck and they're going to try to tear you down. And I just would have told myself like, you know, just, just be a little more calm and know that the older you get, the better quality people you're going to meet. And it's all going to be fine. Like that probably would have been my advice because there's still the inner 12 year old that uh, worships baseball players and uh, you know, just gets caught up in all this stuff. And, And I remember what it was like to not have friends and to idolize, you know, baseball celebrities And again, I want to use that term lightly because the players are the real celebrities, but I have made a name for myself in the baseball world. And I know that kids out there really do look up to YouTubers in general. So I don't want to completely brush that aside. Like, you know, kids out there, especially like are often very happy to meet me and I want to give them time and I want to be nice and I want to sign autographs. Even if I don't think that my autograph is worth that much money, I know how much it means to them. And I imagine how I would have felt if I were 12 and I met current me, like I probably would have lost my mind. So yeah, it's, it's pretty wild to be in this situation and to, to really be living out this dream is like this baseball guy that gets to go to different stadiums and make videos and have an audience and just connect with the players. Like it's, it's wild. The, the job is tough. It's a lot of work and there's a lot of stressful things, but it definitely falls into the dream job category. And just to even be talking to you guys and to be sharing this with your fans and your audience, like what a thrill. I, I, I just, I never want to take it for granted. And I'm so thankful to get to do this and, you know, to be able to give back to the baseball world in the process to raise money for charity, giving away thousands of baseballs to kids and just to bring smiles to people's faces. It's really amazing. Of course, because, you know, there there will be kids in their lifetime that go to baseball games and they bring their glove. They'll never get the opportunity to have a baseball in their possession. And, you know, once they see you there and they get you give them a ball, it, it's like the greatest moment of their lives. You know, it's like you just made my my week, my year. I was like, yay, I'm holding this piece of cowhide and leather. It's, it's just there's so much more meaning to it. Uh, and, and that's what I love about the sport. And that's what I, I think what makes you a quality content creator. Uh, I think this is one of the first few times where we're actually not trying to make you look like you're the villain. <laughs> um, now, I mean, you can try if you want, you want to put me on the hot seat and, and insult me for a minute. No, no, <laughs> no, okay. no, 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 uh, I, 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 I think go I, on Twitter. If I want that. No, no, I, I, I think way too positively of you to say anything bad about you. So. No, no. And you've done so much for the game itself. You've gotten uh, so many young people uh, interested in the sport uh, and going to games. You see, I mean, granted, kids have always gone to baseball games. But now because of you, more people are starting to say, hey, if I see this guy uh, at a game, maybe there's a chance that I could potentially interact with either a player or grab a baseball or even catch one during a game. I mean, I got very lucky. Uh, I think it was like 2018. I caught the late uh, Luis Valbuena. I caught a foul ball from him, and, and I thought that was the greatest day of my life. Uh, <laughs> Did you have a glove? I, I had a glove. Now that the story was really 
weird. I was in the Hyundai Club at City Field. You know, if you've been, oh, there, that's a good they, spot. Yeah, they've got like a buffet. So I was eating food and me thinking like, eh, I'm not going to catch something. Immediately he hits one and ricochets off uh, the 300 level. I had my glove halfway in. I make the catch and I'm freaking the hell out. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and That's it was amazing. Off, it was Love off it. Jacob deGrom. So Ooh. it's even better. <laughs> you got some future Hall of Famer DNA on that one. I know, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, last thing you mentioned salads. Uh, now, obviously, you're a very fit guy. Uh, I'm sure. And you've eaten a lot of junk during the season. How do you how do you stay in shape? I eat very well when I'm not at baseball stadiums. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I also work out pretty regularly. I try to do crunches every day and push-ups every other day. And on the non-push-up days, I do some light weights. And I live in a 16-story building in New York City. So I go up and down the stairs a few times most mm -hmm. days. But um, I don't typically drink calories. Like, I've never been drunk I've never even tasted Coke or Pepsi. I just don't drink soda or juice. It's a lot of sugar. So I eat like a maniac, but I'm not also adding calories with my beverages. I think that helps. And yeah, I, I, as much garbage as I eat at stadiums, I've actually become mostly vegetarian when I'm not doing that. So I don't know if you've heard the term. It's kind of a dopey word, but it's actually accurate flexitarian. I have heard. Yes. It. Yes. So I am a flexitarian, which is basically means like mostly vegetarian, but occasionally, whether for convenience or for fun, you, you will eat some meat, but I, I, I feel like I could be vegan and maybe I will someday, or at least vegetarian as, as all the fake meats become tastier. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely moving in that direction of being healthier. And I've dated vegans for about five years of my life been amazing. So I, I, I try to be as healthy as possible, but I think variety is important and I tend to not want to do all or nothing. So every now and then eat the garbage, but balance it out. So that's how I make it work. Well, that's what I found fascinating. I was watching back on your video in San Diego where uh, you met the guy with the gloves and I was watching that video and the, some of the food that you were eating that video was fascinating. Just the desserts alone. <laughs> I have a serious sugar problem. I really do. <laughs> it's, it's not good. I, I feel like, you know, generations ago, everybody smoked and no one really knew how bad it was. Like you sort of figured like, well, this is not great, but there was a lot of misinformation and propaganda. It, cigarettes were even billed as healthy at one point. Like you can, you can clear out your lungs by like having this smoke pass through. Like, I don't know. Hell, and the I feel Flintstones like, did commercials for Winston cigarettes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like something's going to come out someday about how sugar causes everyone to have cancer. And then I'm going to be like, Oh my God, look at all these desserts I ate all the time. <laughs> but nope. you know, again, I, I don't drink soda and I don't drink juice and I don't even really eat cereal. Cause let's face it. That's just like carbs that turn to sugar in your system. So yeah. even eating desserts, like a maniac on YouTube a number of times a year, I still feel like I'm not eating as much sugar as maybe the typical American out there. So I'm very good at making excuses and justifying <laughs> things. But again, I think, I think having a balance is a, a fun and healthy way to go through life. All right. So, well, yeah, 
And I think that's a great way, a great way to end this uh, episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, for uh, all of us, follow the Hearst Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Hearst Show. Follow the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. We've got a whole bunch of uh, other shows that you can watch and listen to on the go. And of course, Mr. Zach Campbell, you've been such a terrific guest. Follow him at Zach Campbell instagram twitter and of course subscribe to his youtube channel he's done so much is. for the baseball community uh and of course watch uh, zach campbell versus the world on most streaming platforms uh is there anybody you want you'd like to plug zach i will just say that a portion of the proceeds from this documentary are going to charity pitching for baseball and softball there you so go. If you if you're on the fence, like ah, this guy's kind of a dweeb, like, do I really want to watch this? Maybe it's interesting in case that helps move the needle a little bit. You will actually be helping kids play ball by watching the movie. So I really do hope you check it out. Uh, It's fun. And as long as you guys know how to spell my name out there, I'm pretty easy (laughs) to find. So check out my stuff. Lots of good vibes, lots of baseball adventures. And if you ever see me at a game, please come say hello. I love hanging out with people. Of course. Well, we'll most uh, since we're all in the tri-state area, we'll definitely catch you at either City Field or Yankee Stadium at some point during the season, and then we'll say hello. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, great, th- thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon. The preceding episode of The Hirsch Show was presented by Mac, hosted by Kyle Hershon, produced by Kyle Hershon and Nick Morgison. Additional voiceover provided by Jerry Houston. Podcast hosting provided by Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to follow The Hirsch Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to watch the video version of The Hirsch Show on our YouTube channel. This has been a production of the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.